That's a dreadful ball and Chelsea could be in here with Goff who goes for goal and scores! Finds the back of the net! Henri! What a goal! Inspiration for Arsenal from Thierry Henri! Miller, lovely cushion header for The Ghost Goal Podcast. Arsenal suffered a frustrating end to the North London derby, drawing 1-1 in their away trip to Tottenham. Manchester City managed to grind out a difficult away result, winning 1-0 at Bournemouth. May now took part in the most engaging encounter of the weekend as they came back from behind to beat Southampton 3-2 at Old Trafford. And Chelsea scored their first two away goals in the Premier League this calendar year, beating Fulham 2-1 before Everton and Liverpool ground out to a 0-0 result. We'll hear from Andrew a little bit later uh, to discuss uh, that result for Liverpool and what it does to their title hopes. But for now, to cover the rest of the games, uh, I'm Alex here with Javier. Javier, welcome back. Hey, Alex. Just, you know, we were just talking before this. Still frustrated about the about the draw. It's uh, it would have been a great. It, it's the it's the best opportunity we've had to pick up six points against our most bitter rivals in quite a few years. And if you would have told me that we had an opportunity within one point of them a month ago, I would not have thought that was possible. But you know, it's so it's disappointing that we're still four points behind them, and we could have dragged them into the the back into the Champions League race you know there's still a, there's a little pressure on still them have. but they still drop points uh, yeah I was gonna say let's not uh, let's not mess around let's get straight straight into it uh, th- that Tottenham Arsenal game uh, ended one one goals from Aaron Ramsey in the 16th minute for Arsenal and then a Harry Kane penalty in the 74th minute Pierre Emerick Aubameyang have actually missed a penalty in the 91st minute. And uh, Lucas Torreira was sent off in the 95th minute from a 50-50 challenge with uh, Danny Rose. So there's a lot to cover on like the typical punditry side of things. You know, after the game ends, they go straight into the decisions. Like, was this offside? Was this a penalty? And there's there's plenty to talk about with that. Uh, we can hit on that quickly if you want. But I want to talk about what it was that Arsenal did to uh, basically continue to neutralize Tottenham because Tottenham didn't look like they. Uh, were able to create anything really that significant. They eventually uh, resorted to hoofball tactics at the end, but they brought on Lorente and basically just played without a midfield. So, like, what do you, what do you think it was that Arsenal did so well? Well, in the first half, um, Tottenham did create chances. That was when Ericsson was playing more in the front three, and he, he was getting have a more good time game, on though. the ball. Ericsson. I'm sorry. Ericsson and Son were both pretty quiet. They're like the two well, players the first were half, on them to In the first most. half, they were able to create those two really good chances that uh, Leno was able to save in that like. Oh right, double the, uh, the double, the double save that right. they really should that have scored. I think that the the real masterstroke of of tactical decision by Emery was, you know, not not playing Torreira in the first half and bringing him on the second half and and then completely nullifying Ericsson in the second half. Like you said, he did nothing in the second half because you just you just didn't see him. Torreira kept him completely quiet. It was man-marking and the Emery, whole time. Emery probably first saw that uh, when Pochettino became frustrated with that system at halftime, he would drop Ericsson into a deeper role. 
because like that was that was the only thing they could do with so many players being injured and then taking out one Yama. They were ba- they basically had to play Ericsson alongside Sissoko, and instead of improving their ability like on the ball, it kind of took away one of their better attacking uh, threats in the final third. But yeah, the the, the decisions. I mean. <sighs> Obviously, it's disappointing that Kane was a yard offside. Um, he, of the all of the Tottenham players, he was the most offside. So it's it's really bizarre that the linesman didn't. This is on this flag. is on the free kick that the led free kick to that led the Mustafi the penalty, foul, yes. right? Um, which was obviously a stupid, stupid penalty to concede for Mustafi. I mean, what are you There's doing? Been a lot of just shoving a guy in week. the back like that. There's been people coming in and saying that like they didn't think it was a penalty, or so they they thought it was a penalty, and that like Harry Kane wasn't affecting the play when he was onside, but the ball ends up going to him, and then he gets pushed over. Like so, well, like the ball is obviously being played play. to Kane at the back post. <laughs> like so, how is he not involved in the play? So I'm not saying that's what I agree with. But I'm saying in English media at least, there's been I've seen a lot of. Uh, argument about that decision. Um, the other contentious decision was, I think it's fair to say, Aubameyang's penalty was pretty up in the air. I mean, my, uh, my gut people. reaction, Alex, I was watching the game with you. I immediately said, that's a dive. And I thought that he gave us the penalty basically to equalize the Kane decision. Um, and it's something that... So, so you really think they're discussing that? Like, I don't the, think they're discussing the, it, but I think it's an unsaid thing that referees do. And I've seen I've retired seen, referees, referees talk about not. T- those types of things, and they definitely try and do that. Especially like, I don't, I don't especially so, if like that's they a, make a, a really bad reach. decision. No, if they, especially if they really make a joke it, about that. It's it, it usually doesn't happen in like during the game, like mid game, um, like it like it would have happened in this. So like it would have been you know fifteen minutes later. But sometimes when they go in at halftime, they find out they made the wrong decision. They might be a little bit softer on. A decision in the second half, and I've seen, that's happened many, many times. I've seen that happen on cards or penalties. It's just they try and referee the game the same way, you know. It, well, Aubameyang uh, missed the penalty anyway, so uh, it, it didn't end up having. Now, while missing that penalty, <laughs> oh, you're going to talk about the Vertonghen? Absolutely, Vertonghen point. was yeah, okay. three yards inside of the box encroaching. And he yeah, someone posted a graphic of him standing almost right next to Aubameyang as he's right. like, like as he's running up to take the penalty. Vertonghen's like in the box, like side by side. With and him. guess who clears it off the line when Vertong when Aubameyang is literally half a foot away from the goal, going to tap it in. Jan Vertonghen, and no other player was near the ball. No other player could have gotten there. I mean, it, it's just there's so many bad missed calls. Um, and then as well as as well as the Lucas Torreira red card. Um, as bad as that tackle was, and as possibly in another game that should have been a red card, in this specific game, because there have been two other tackles extremely similar, just as bad as that tackle, and didn't receive red cards. There was also a stamp. There was there were so many things that happened that weren't appropriately... And then to like just give a red card in the 95th minute of a game when it didn't... you know He could have given a yellow card... The, the player was fine. It was a complete accident. Torreira was going for the ball. This guy's like, he's not a dirty player at all. Like, he, he's, he's a very honest he's player. He's Uruguayan, though. Come on. They've all got a bit of that in them. No, but he's all not, the like, that. He's not like that at all. And he wasn't, he was he had absolutely zero intention of hurting or, or like, the, he, you can see him pulling away, just 100% going for the ball in that. And he gets the ball 100%. I don't know how you send a guy off for that, especially after, like, Danny Rose had done, like, a That's... horrible stamp 
earlier and that's, had that's cleared Leno he in shouldn't the be chest. Sent off. He shouldn't be sent off. Or Sanchez has stamped out Leno card. as well. There's just been so many incidents in the game that, that I mean, if VAR already existed, there are, the, 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 there's no way the game would have been anything like what had happened. I mean, it's just, it just leaves a very sour taste in the mouth. So I would say I agree with you to the extent that Lucas probably shouldn't have been sent off for the red card because Danny Rose put his cleats into Leno's chest like 30 minutes before that and was given a yellow card. So you can't go back and and review that if you're the FA and, and give out a ban for that. That was an arguably – he was going for the ball, so you can understand why he's going in like that. But it's still a dangerous attempt to go for the ball. I think Lucas Torreira's tackle jumps into the same category as that. And honestly, we've seen them softly given before in the Premier League. The beginning of last season, Gary Cahill got sent off at home against Burnley in the first game for lightly grazing someone with his cleats in a 50-50 challenge. It led to our first home loss of the season in the first game. Completely changed the outcome of the game, and it just felt like we'd been slighted. But I don't have issues with them calling or giving red cards for those types of challenges because they obviously are dangerous to have your cleats making uh, I just like, think solid contact with someone else's leg. Right. they got to be consistent. And we, they weren't. And Spurs especially. It feels like every time I watch Spurs versus another top six team, you're seeing Eric Dyer, Deli Alley, Harry Kane even go in and get these terribly timed like stamps or uh, just having their cleats go into someone's knee or calf or something during a, during a challenge. And barely even a yellow card being given for it. It's just, I'm not saying I have a problem with only Tottenham about it. There's plenty of other teams in the Premier League that are uh, guilty uh, as even, well. There but. was even a, a Granite Xhaka tackle on Harry Kane in the first half where like he cleated him in the back of his, uh, in like the back of his leg. And right. That, yeah, I there was, that he wasn't even given a card. But like, how do you then give Torreira a red card in the last minute there? That That's what I don't get. Like, you either give, you know what I mean, like either send a bunch yeah. of players off in that game or you don't. But I don't know. It's just everything that about that game felt wrong. Like the like you said, the Aubameyang penalty was a dive. The Kane penalty shouldn't have happened. Terrell red card. I, it, the only part that was nice was the Ramsey goal, which I yeah. was I was I love that celebration. Shout out of, to Aaron Ramsey yeah. screaming at the Tottenham fans. This is my fucking pitch. Right. <laughs> As he ran around, I mean, he scored many, goal. many goals That's there. So top bents for sure. You can't, um, uh, you can't, you can't fault the guy. Great, great way to go out for Ramsey. So happy for him that he scored in his last North London derby for us, and uh, definitely his last uh, game at Wembley for the foreseeable future. Yeah, de- definitely his last time at Wembley for the foreseeable future. So yeah, no, good luck okay. to him, and um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's 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 awesome to see a player. You know, even when you know that they're leaving and that they're going to a you know a, a big club, they're going to another project to give their all in all the games every minute that they're playing. You know, he still gives his maximum effort and, and contributes on the pitch. So, you know, great professional and you know absolutely no qualms with anything he's he's done for us. So, all the luck to him. Okay, well, let's move on to Manchester City's one nil win at Bournemouth. Uh, Riyad Mahrez scored the winner in the fifty fifth minute. Uh, a game that saw Manchester City not score a bunch of goals, but what was more impressive uh, than the number of chances that they created? Bournemouth and just didn't have a chance. No, nothing. If you look <laughs> at the expected goals charts, anything. it's right. just. I think it's Manchester City on like one point six expected goals for the game, and Bournemouth on zero. No, sh- no chances anywhere. Not even outside the box. Not even off a. 
uh, random counterattack when City got stretched uh, too badly stretched themselves. The bigger storyline coming out of this uh, this game for Manchester City is that the injuries just keep piling up. Kevin De Bruyne had to go off right before halftime with a, uh, I think a quadriceps injury, they said. Uh, that's probably going to keep him out for like a couple of weeks, I, I'm guessing, if they want him uh, back for like the real run-in of this season. Uh, John Stones uh, re-aggravated an injury and had to go off. They're still missing Fernandinho. Uh, obviously, they have the, the the squad depth to go on about their business anyway, but it shows in the result here where most, most of us had 3-1 or 4-1 or 3-0 picked for the final result of this game, and it ended uh, 1-0 thanks to some really good defending from like Nathan Ake and some great goalkeeping from Artur Boric. Uh, so... That one no result, while on the surface may not seem super impressive uh, for Manchester City, obviously in the context of Liverpool's later result that we'll get to, uh, it puts them back on top of the table, a point ahead of Liverpool. And those are the type of results that uh, Liverpool have been drawing four of their last six Premier League games. Manchester City have gone straight up wins in the last five. They're not they're not slipping up themselves despite their injuries. So it's impressive in its own right. Uh, did you get to catch this one? No, you, we watched it together. It was on the second screen that we had going. Um, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on Man City. Yeah, I mean, I just like you said, they, it was a, it was one of the most impressive one nil victories you can see. You know, they just. Right. There was no. You never thought there was a chance Bournemouth were ever going to get back into it. Um, it's Bournemouth at home who beat Chelsea four yeah, 0 Just, just <laughs> dominating victory. And I mean, obviously they would have wanted more goals, but it, defensively, I, I think they're they're back to not conceding again. I think that's like f- how many games in a row they haven't conceded. When was the last time they conceded? Arsenal were the last team to score on them uh, five games ago, back on February third. So. They've gone a month now without conceding in the league. They've obviously had a few uh, FA Cup and League Cup games and a Champions League game thrown in there where they uh, conceded in the Champions League. But yeah, their league form is back to being great, even with uh, Laporte being out, them starting company and, uh, or sorry, uh, Otamendi and Stones. And I think they had to bring company in once Stones was injured. We'll see how long it holds up because uh, if some of those players stay out for too long, you maybe can come back to, to haunt them. But for now, they, they just keep on rolling and they're back on, on top of the table. And I'm going to say it right now. I mean, I've been saying it. I've never wavered from this opinion. I think Manchester City win the league. I think now that Liverpool have let them get back on top with their experience winning multiple league titles for some of yeah, these players. Spoilers, that, I don't that, think that result this last weekend was, that was pretty bad. That was pretty Which bad. one? Just the the, the, the the draw they had with Everton. I mean. Oh, you mean yesterday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, just. Well, Andrew and I will get to that a little bit later. Uh, but let's move on from uh, the Manchester City game and just jump to a couple of quick results. Brighton beat Huddersfield 1-0 at home. Uh, goals from uh, Florian Andone in the 79th minute. Uh, Javier, you had this result correct. Burnley then fell at home to Crystal Palace 3-1. Uh, Phil Bardsley own goal, Amishi Batshuayi uh, goal in the 48th minute, and a Wilfred Zaha goal to finish things off in the 76th minute. Saw Palace get the win. Uh, Ashley Barnes collected a goal in the 90th minute uh, to at least break up Palace's clean sheet. Uh, the, uh, and the then we get Barnes to Barnes trash goal in the last minute. <laughs> hey, last time he did that, it was against uh, it was against Tottenham, and it was a winner. So uh, you no, can't blame no, him too I mean, much. The guy's He's on fire. The guy's on fire right now. I, you know, it seems Speaking like... of on fire, Romelu Lukaku. Let's get to Manchester United Uh-oh. 3, Southampton 2. Uh, Southampton... Okay, we'll start this by just saying there is not a game in the Premier League this season that has five nicer goals. Like every single one of these 
is was worthy of going straight to the top of Reddit soccer. And uh, I, I didn't check at the time, but I'm guessing they were all around or near there. Uh, Jan Valerie opened the scoring for Southampton in the 26th minute with an absolute near post rocket past David De Gea. Uh, before Andreas Pereira scored his first Premier League goal for Manchester United with a beautiful curled shot in the 53rd minute. Uh, then Romelu Lukaku uh, put United in the lead in the 59th minute uh, before a great free kick from James Ward-Prowse equalized in the 75th minute. And Lukaku wrapped things up in the 88th minute, scoring on its right for the second time. That's four goals in two games for Lukaku, uh, Javier. He's uh, He's... Uh, why? He's pushed himself back into the consideration list for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer when looking at his forward options, his central forward options, because we saw Rashford play out wide in this one. You think there's a chance that after a few weeks ago, we were saying there's no way Lukaku gets back into this United team with how well Rashford's playing. You're saying to me before we started recording, you think that now that might be the best way forward for them, having Lukaku back in there established as the center forward. Well, I think, like, I think Lingard's hurt wide. for a few weeks. So I think they just, and Martial's been in and out of the team hurt. So I think Alexis Sanchez is out for six to eight weeks. So they have no one else. I mean, they have to play him. They've been well, playing Mata in this? the midfield. Full strength. Would you want Rashford on the right, Lukaku, Central, Martial on the left? I think it just depends on the game. I think um, in some games you'd want Lingard, in some games you'd want Lukaku, just tactically. Okay. Like you know, the, there's times where the, those front that front three is is unstoppable, and and against some teams, and maybe you need more physicality against some other teams. So. Um, are you saying that that the front three of Rashford, Lingard, I mean, Martial Lukaku's would be coming on in every game. Games? Lukaku's coming on in every game anyway. So it's like, at some point you're going to see that front three. You know. So even if it doesn't, yeah, I just mean like I, I just mean start. like what's your preference? I'm not I'm not suggesting whether they will or will not play. Like obviously with injuries, all, all those players are going to have to do their part. I'm just saying, all, everyone's healthy. What do you think is the most potent uh, like attacking force for United? If, uh, out of, if, like, those four if you put Lukaku on the right wing and he's willing to do the defensive work and willing to like learn that position. Which I I haven't really seen him do. The, there was that one game for Belgium where he played amazingly on the right wing against Brazil. Right. And if that they just seems like they, a that seems like a one game like wrinkle you throw right. in there. That's, that's not, what doesn't I'm seem saying. like something you consistently play him at. So if if it, if it became something that you could consistently play him at, then I would say you know obviously that with um, Rashford in the middle and Martial on the left would be a, an amazing front line, but. Uh, I think it's going to be hard to make that work. I think that Lukaku's first touch and the way he just sometimes ruins buildup is is especially on counterattacks. It just sometimes he he just wants to take over and 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 I mean it, in this game he did it amazingly. Right, he was able to just me and you were just well, kind no, of sitting there. Like, we don't we we he didn't, didn't feel that, it. We didn't feel the United winner coming, and and he just kind of popped up out of nowhere and you know fired a beautiful goal with his right foot into the into the bottom corner so um yeah definitely he's he's back uh i think that he, he also i think he has 12 or 13 goals this season it's not like he's having the worst season i mean that's definitely bad by his standards but for for the amount of time that he's played um and for how bad united were while he was starting i think his goal return isn't isn't atrocious so well he was pretty much dropped from the lineup for a couple of weeks there under Mourinho where Mourinho was just taking turns, picking players to be upset with basically and to put on the bench. Pogba got some of that. Uh, Baye's got plenty of it. Lukaku. These are players that under Solskjaer have 
played really well and have shown in the, in the past in their careers they could play really well. What Solskjaer, I think, has done specifically with the center forwards, with the strikers, is he's simplified everything and given them the confidence to say, when you get the ball anywhere around the 18-yard box, I don't care if it's outside or not, not just shoot deliberate beforehand what's your move going to be the one touch you take to either get yourself free maybe two touches most make that first move to take out one defender and then either play or pass or just take the shot on goals he's just given them the green light because it was very rare in the past that we've seen Lukaku attempt this many right-footed shots to the bottom right corner from that area from the, the from sort of like the left diagonal part of the 18-yard bots. Usually he's trying to cut in from the left and get things on his preferred left foot. But Solskjaer's given him the confidence to say, go wherever you want. Use both your feet. You're good enough. Like, we've seen you do it before. And he's obviously done the same thing for Rashford, and it's paid off equally for Lukaku. So I can't imagine he's complaining too much about having two uh, center forwards playing so well at the minute. Um, Southampton, thought it was pretty good from them. They They... Honestly, with a better team for stretches, it took two really great goals from Valerie and Ward Prowse to even have them in this game. But uh, the results around them in the league kind of went their way with uh, Cardiff and uh, Fulham and other teams uh, around the relegation zone losing. I, I think they're they're the closest one to the relegation zone. I think they're two points off it right now. But I've seen enough from them since I think they're good took to over that yeah. they're they're staying up. Which means our bottom three right now: Cardiff, Fulham. Huddersfield, they're uh, we're, we're all saying that's going to be it at the end of the season, which is yeah. interesting with with nine games to go. There's usually a decent relegation battle um, heating up, but yeah, you know, maybe maybe it makes some games for the top six a little bit easier, <laughs> knowing that these teams will be, be pretty much wrapped up with their seasons come, coming into this final stretch of the season. Okay, well let's get to a few more of these uh, quick results. Wolves beat Cardiff City two uh, 0 at home. Andrew and Javier had the score prediction correct for that one. Goals from Diego Jota in the 16th minute and Raúl Jiménez in the 18th minute to wrap up the points for Wolves. West Ham beat Newcastle two 0 Goals from Glenn Rice and a Mark Noble penalty. Uh, and Watford beat Leicester in Brendan Rodgers' uh, first game at the helm of Leicester City. Uh, Troy Deeney scored in the fifth minute. Jamie Vardy uh, scored in the 75th minute. And Andre Gray scored from a terrible lapse in the Leicester defense in the 92nd minute to uh, leave Brendan Rodgers a little miffed about his defensive choices going forward. Uh, I don't want to hit on this one too much, but I do I do want to say that Leicester kind of walked out in a in a... <laughs> Let's just say a very defensive five at the back formation, which obviously didn't lead to them getting a positive result. But I, it's just noticeable, notable because it surprised me from Rogers. We're used to Rogers playing his typical four-two-three-one or four-three-three, some variation of that, and a more expansive style. But he said in uh, press conferences since that he wants to shore up these uh, issues at the back for Leicester. And I can tell you right now that that's not going to happen until this summer when West Morgan and. Uh, maybe Johnny Evans leave and Lester go and reinvest for a proper partner for Harry Maguire at the back there because there's some terrible mistakes being made by Morgan week in and week out. And it's been happening for two years now almost. He's been past it for a while. So uh, I'm not taking too much from that uh, first game for Lester. It's a difficult away uh, fixture at Watford. Uh, but let's jump to the uh, final game that Javier and I are going to talk about. Chelsea beating Fulham 2-1 at Craven Cottage. Uh, Gonzalo Higuain scored in the 20th minute. Uh, Callum Chambers equalized in the 27th minute before Jorginho passed the ball into the back of the net for the winner, and Chelsea held on for the three points. Uh, I know you're going to say, Javier, we didn't stuff them, so it's not a good result. Pathetic. Pathetic. uh, We really jumped on them the first half. 
honestly, the first 15 minutes, we were pretty much just at their throats. We were playing really, really well. Higuain did his usual thing of missing two or three really good chances. He got hold the goal. On, hold on, hold on. They also had a bunch of chances, though. Kepa they had made, a good, like, good Kepa man of, chances, man of the yeah. match. Kepa, Kepa did have a man of the match of performance. The match. This is his first game back since the uh, misunderstanding, quote-unquote, with uh, Sorry last weekend. He missed the Tottenham game in midweek and returned absolutely to this one. the best I've seen Kepa play in a Chelsea shirt. Yes, yeah, he was excellent. He was amazing, so... He totally kept you in that game. There were so many times where I thought Fulham scored. And, and I mean, they did score in the last minute um, uh, a slightly uh, – it was the correct call, but he was Darn slightly offside. Market. Oh, you're talking but, about the, the final yeah, the final minute. Sessegnon scored a goal. He was slightly offside, but Harry Kane was like at least a yard more offside than Sessegnon. I just wanted to mention that. Come so, on, man. Get you good. Got, you got lucky, you got you lucky that, the, that the refs didn't rob you of your game. Well, you know, we've gotten plenty of uh, – We've gotten plenty I'm of not bad salty calls against it. us I'm this season. This is, that, it, I'm okay with I'm okay with one going our way. Way. Yeah, this was I don't want to go and say it was impressive performance because like like I just mentioned, we should have probably won three or four one. And uh I have it on good authority from a couple of Fulham fans that many of them saw it going uh the same way that the Arsenal Fulham game at Craven Cottage went earlier this season, because that first like forty minutes right before halftime. We were shredding them to pieces. They didn't press Jorginho in the slightest. Uh, we had good performances from Aspilicueta, who felt like, they, like he had the license to go forward. He was the one who delivered the assist for Higuain. That's been a big storyline for Chelsea, where we haven't quite had the attacking balance we've needed, because basically because of our defensive concerns, where Aspilicueta doesn't quite feel that he can go forward as often and with as much... Uh, uh, or, or as early as he should because he feels like he has to cover for in case we lose the ball and there's only two players back there and he has to be a third man back to help defend. It makes sense, but for the system to really flourish, there has to be some balance between the left and right wing backs getting forward and aiding in attacks. So it's good to see him do it against Fulham away, but uh, I'm going to need to see it uh, in a few of our more difficult games for the end of the season if I think uh, Aspilicueta is going to be good enough to stay and grow in that right back position. So, uh, any more thoughts on Chelsea? Uh, that we're we're still, I think we're in a good position get, to get top uh, four. We're two I, points I, behind I, I, behind just, you guys. Just I do have one one, one point thought. one point um, behind you, uh, Javier, with a game in hand. Sure, you sure. guys are doomed. You still have You're a doomed. lot. You still have to play uh, some hard games left. So we have we have only United at home. After that, I'm pretty sure we're just going to win all of our games. So we'll see. We'll see who drops points after that. Um, but I wanted to say that Iguain scored three goals up to this point. Um, we're in March, and Alvaro Morata scored more goals on Atletico Madrid. Uh, he scored a brace over the weekend, and I guarantee that Morata would have scored a similar and amount of goals, three or four goals up till this point uh, for you guys. Probably a brace against Huddersfield and probably a goal, a goal in this game or two. So I don't think up till this point there has been any significant difference with Iguain and Morata. I understand that Iguain's been finishing goals that Morata wouldn't have, but they're just completely different players, right? Like Morata, he can only really score with his head. Like both goals over the weekend are with his head. I'm pretty sure right. of the of a, his five goals he scored with Atletico, four have been with his head. So it, it just it seems like maybe Chelsea wasn't really suited to play for that uh, earlier under uh, Mourinho, you guys, and under Conte, you guys definitely used that better and were able to you know utilize crossing more. But it doesn't seem like Sorry really likes using that type of system of 
you know, crosses into the box, at least for headers. Maybe low crosses where the striker can come in and strike it first time. And, and maybe that's where Iguain is, is better. And that's where maybe when the players get better at sorry system, Iguain will start scoring more goals. Uh, and I've seen that in those first time finishes, like in the box, in, in the six yard box, Iguain is, is clearly like a better player than Morata in that. So it's interesting to see um, that possibly both teams have gotten uh, an upgrade in the striker and, and maybe Atletico. Moving forward, Morata becomes good for them, and and Iguain becomes good for you guys. We'll see, but for now, I don't uh, think there's yeah. there would have been any different <clears throat> difference in output. I, I won't I won't dive into like the nitty gritty details of that comparison right now, but I will just say on like a very surface level, there's a much bigger learning curve for Higuain coming into uh, the, the Premier League than there is for Morata going back to Spain. That's that's just my uh, idea of it. Uh, obviously, yeah, definitely, Higuain. Definitely, that's a good point. There's pros and cons for Higuain. I think the six goal mark that I set for Higuain against, uh, let's just say, lesser opposition uh, for this for the second half of the season. I think it's a bear. I think that was, that's not like a good. I, I, yeah, th- that, what I said, what I was basically saying with that is that I have very low expectations for this. And if he manages to score those six to eight goals, that is probably reasonable against uh, the likes of Fulham and Huddersfield. He's already got three then that means we've wrapped up those results. And those are results that, so far this season, those haven't been complete guarantees for us, drawing against Southampton and West Ham and uh, some teams of that stature. So uh, it's yeah, I, hopefully the only way is up for him, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm comfortable with what I've seen so far. But there's room for improvement. Uh, well, that's enough from uh, Javier and I. Let's go now to my discussion of the Everton-Liverpool game with Andrew. Thanks, Javier. And welcome back. I'm Alex here with Andrew to discuss the Everton Liverpool Merseyside derby from Sunday afternoon. Uh, of course, ended. It wasn't Sunday afternoon. It was eleven o'clock, and it's Sunday sucked. afternoon in 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 England. Sure, <laughs> crept into the afternoon here. Uh, but you don't realize that I had to get up at nine o'clock in the morning to watch this at the office early. So I had to get up at nine to get on a train by to make sure I was on the train in time to get my ass to the office to watch this game. And oh my God, was I disappointed! Uh, that of course but is the on. voice of our very own Andrew Passaro. Um, I, I can feel frustration uh, coming through a little bit, Andrew. That was obviously a frustrating game for everyone uh, involved. Uh, maybe maybe th- those of us who wanted to see Liverpool drop points uh, enjoyed it uh, a bit more than others. I've noticed not only in this game, but in particular the other four league games that you guys have drawn over the last six ones, that there seems to be a bit too much of a focus from Jurgen Klopp in his midfield, which isn't a surprise. But there seems to be too much of a focus on work rate and athleticism and just ability to help win the ball back in those key areas in midfield and a reluctance to maybe rely and trust in players like Jordan Shakiri. Nabi Keita is the one that I personally will vouch for every day of the week to kind of maybe they're not like just explicitly those creative types. They can do a little bit of both, but they're certainly more creative than uh, continuing to stick with the likes of like Milner, Henderson, Wijnaldum and Fabinho. Personally, I would keep in, but Liverpool fans have got to be getting frustrated by this, right? Because there's there just aren't as many chances, good chances being manufactured. So I would rather like I, I'm, I'm frustrated myself seeing people start to criticize Mohamed Salah, for instance, saying that he's dropped off in recent weeks when there's perfect, there's tons of team issues that I think need to be resolved. And you could easily see him slip back into like the regular form that we're used to. I know there isn't a question in that, but go off of it. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, I'll hit on all of it. Uh, I'll start with Salah because I tweeted right after the game that Salah needs to change his boots or something because he had chances. There was a shot that I remember, a curler that he could have put beyond Pickford and he put it pretty close at him and Pickford was able to make a save. Salah hasn't been as clinical the last couple weeks. And what did we talk about earlier this year on the pod? Liverpool are winning these 1-0 games and Salah is scoring. And when he doesn't score in a game like this, which was a tight game that Everton honestly showed up for in a way that they haven't showed up for all of their performances of late. And I I honestly like hand up respect to Everton, which is tough for me to give. We, we all know this, but they showed up to frustrate their biggest rivals and they did it perfectly. But yeah, I, I was not happy with the substitutions that Klopp made. Honestly, I wasn't happy with James Milner starting. I know that he had a good game against Watford, but I knew that Everton was going to bring the juice in a different way. And frankly, James Milner is older. Why not play Naby Keita from the start? He's started to look better. Again, you bring up Jared and Shakiri, who hasn't made an appearance for Liverpool over the last couple weeks. Do you weeks. mean uh, Henderson? Because that- uh, Milner, uh, yes. Milner started. He came on for Wijnaldum. He came on for Wijnaldum. She shouldn't have come on. Naby Keita should have come on. Or Shakiri should have come on. Uh, Klopp felt... I, I, I wasn't happy with the substitutions again. And it's a, it's two weeks in a row on a Monday that I'm talking about substitutions that shouldn't have gone that way. And, and look, I, I'm not going to sit here and part of me as a Liverpool fan is happy that I'm making this argument because... Look, I've been watching Liverpool since 2012. I I know the days of of Skirtle in our lineup, of of Joe Allen in our lineup, of you know Ali Sissoko, of of Ali Sissoko, <laughs> Fabio Barini, Mario Balotelli. I was about I to say on. you were picking on Ricky some players Lambert. that didn't deserve it. I was about to say Skirtle and Nick, Allen were decent. <laughs> they were okay. Okay, they were okay, but they Ali were never Sissoko title run. And right, some of the dumpster never, fires. Yeah. Jose Enrique, they were never title-winning players. We finally have that squad, which is, I guess I'm digging myself out of this point and into the spin zone of this is the first time. The, the Liverpool fans in particular, look, everybody else is coming for our heads, and I think that's the funniest part. Literally, Manchester City is getting all these indictments about potentially cheating and, and financial behind-the-scenes stuff, and no one is talking about it because no one wants Liverpool to win the league. And honestly, I'm okay being the villain. I just want a trophy at the end of this, but Liverpool fans need to chill the heck out. Like, I get it. Jordan Jordan Henderson, not the best footballer. He's an okay guy. He is better than some of the players we've had to deal with over the better part of the past decade. So y'all need to relax because this is still, in terms of what we've been building for for the for since Jurgen Klopp came in, we are still on a great pace. This is not the Brendan Rodgers 2013-14 season that is going to crumble because one player leaves in the summer. That 2013-14 season happened because Luis Suarez played some of the best football I've ever seen, and you take him out of that lineup, and we all saw what happened. This isn't this. This is a team. This is a unit that is that is building towards something bigger, and there's a vision, and. My concern is why are you not trusting some of those pieces? Why are you still giving Adam Lallana a chance? Why are you relying on James Milner when you have energy and juice in Keita and Shakiri available to come off? Divock Origi starts. He had a great game in the midweek, and frankly, he's played well in almost every game he's played against Everton. I'm not going to sit here and slight him for that. I think they rushed Firmino back, but I want to say hands up 
Virgil van Dyke is a freaking colossus. And if that man doesn't get player of the year votes, then the system's wrong. Because I've never been in love with a defender like this. As a player, as a guy who would rather see a 3-2 game than a nil-nil game, Virgil van Dyke at least makes it entertaining for me. He's been a rock. He was great again yesterday. I know Everton had some moments, but he was able to snuff those out pretty quickly. Um, but just frankly, it wasn't good enough. And and honestly, I know everyone's giving Klopp the business on Twitter because he blamed the wind again. But frankly, Bill Belichick could do it or Popovich could do it and people would be like would be the same thing. And if and if we're talking about him in the same circle as those two guys, frankly, I don't give a shit. No one is. He's a you great are. He's a great. He's well. I'm doing it. I'm starting the campaign right now. He's a great. Let me manager. just say, I do not stand by this campaign. Uh, this is a ridiculous campaign. Um, I, I think it's. I think it's better to go out there and blame the wind than to like. You know what? He doesn't have to give every answer, and eventually people will stop asking him. So I don't care. So here's the thing. There seems to be an air of I'm fine. Everything's fine while the house is burning down around you. Coming out but of the house just, isn't burning give down. Give me a second. I know the house isn't burning down, but I, I'm saying everybody else is it's just like it's this it underlining, down. underlying, uh, not panic. Panic's too strong of a word because there's nine games left. You're a point behind. I, I, like it's fine. It's wide open. I get and it. Manchester City have major injuries. Sure. So, but it's coming from Klopp. I hear it from some of the players. Honestly, even I'm getting that vibe from you right now. Like it all kind of seems like that that office scene where there's the fake fire alarm and. <laughs> And Michael's Mike Scott is just like, everyone stay calm. <laughs> everyone stay calm. <laughs> I, and they do. They need a little bit of that. They do. They really do. Um, beating Everton would have been really important for them, I think. But you know what? They got to show up next week and beat Burnley. And the week after that, they're going to have to deal with Bayern Munich. And, and it's funny because a Manchester United fan replied to my tweet on Sunday morning. And I had a couple people come after me being like, oh, here the, here's the Salah outtakes. Like, no, you morons. I'm not going to sell Mohamed Salah because he couldn't score against Everton. I've never been that player. There are only very few players I've been about that with Liverpool. And it's certainly not going to be Mohamed Salah. But the people coming for Jordan Henderson at all times, it's, it's exhausting. It's like, how do you how do you keep this up? But the Manchester United fan said to me, he's like, don't worry about it. We'll take care of City in a few weeks. And <laughs> and honestly, like, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer still hasn't lost. I find it hard to believe that he's not going to Watch them lie down for that City one right game now. just to keep you guys from I, <laughs> I don't think they would because they have they have on their hands. No, no, they're going for top four. Problem. They're going for top four, of course. They have to. They, they have no opportunity but to go all out for that game. Everton didn't have that when they played Manchester City a couple weeks ago. Like... I'm frustrated, and and we all know this. I wanted a win, a winning on Derby Day, and me being able to tweet out Merseyside is red, even though I've never been there, is one of my favorite things to do. Shit, I still like sharing that picture of Sadio Mane running through the smoke after he scored that winner a couple years ago at Everton. I love beating Everton. It's great. People forget they haven't won a trophy since 1995, and they haven't made a Champions League, and I honestly don't remember when. It's awesome. I love crowning Everton fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what else happened that year? Liverpool won a Champions League. People forget that. Um, I might not but, be exactly on with that year, but it was around 2004 to 2006. One of those years they it, finished in yeah. top four. But I want to wrap up this segment 
I'm going to throw in. I just thought up a new segment. Uh, we don't have to do it every week, but when 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 the mood arises, I, I want to throw I yeah. want to throw a question at you. This week we had two top banter moments in the Premier League. Number one, which I discussed on the the uh, earlier pod with Javier, uh, Aaron Ramsey scoring against Tottenham and then running around the Wembley pitch screaming, "This is my fucking pitch!" at the Tottenham fans. <laughs> and then uh, number two, Everton ball boy clapping Klopp off the field and continues to clap and continues to be an absolute shit as Klopp walks up to him and starts discussing it with him. Now I get it. You have the Liverpool glasses on. This may not seem as uh, it's pretty funny, honestly. Like if someone oh, was, if that happened to funny. Chelsea, if like a West Ham ball boy did that to Chelsea, I would laugh and be like, "That's that's top quality." Like he's trolling the I'm shit not, out of us, but that's funny. I'm not mad about it because Jurgen Klopp already trolled Everton when he ran on to the end of the pitch to celebrate with Allison. So honestly, we're even for the year. Oh, uh, you're you're, like, you're going to take what, the we trolled you harder bit. Okay, okay. Honestly, uh, because we honestly I'm did. Not, because I, I, I'm going to decide. I'm going to decide with Everton on that one. The uh, trolling ball boy is is top quality. Um, I'm actually I'm going to give him the award for the week over Aaron Ramsey because Aaron Ramsey didn't get the result that he wanted. So uh, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. And that's fine. But yeah, you're. Do you remember how mad you guys were when Jurgen Klopp ran onto the field to celebrate with Allison? Y'all, y'all were pretty. Do mad. you all the listeners internet? Because internet? <laughs> uh, no, even you and Javier. But also, uh, the, also the. I would internet. say you have a selected memory there because I had no problem with it whatsoever. It was an emotional moment and a crazy miracle that you guys got the better end of. So, all, all, all I power think we to might him. have to look up the tape on that one. Yeah, but, but it's let's fine. do it. Um, Andrew, thank you for coming on. Uh, thanks again to Javier who joined us earlier uh, in the podcast. Go follow us on social media at Andrew Brasaro at ASMoss92 uh, at JavierRev9 on Instagram and uh, of course at GhostGoalPod. Go like, subscribe, rate, review uh, the pod on iTunes. Uh, giving us ratings and reviews helps build our exposure and helps new listeners uh, find the podcast and we all want that. So uh, for Andrew and Javier and myself, till next time. Thank you.